everyone, this is the Stay at Home Mom Yarai podcast. You are about to listen to my mom. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you like it, please give it five stars. Thank you. Hey, friend, and welcome to the Stay at Home Mom Yeah Right podcast. I'm Sarah Smith, your host, and I'm so excited to be joined by Eleanor Ward. She is an international inspirational speaker, author, and certified life strategies coach specializing in grief. She is committed to empowering and equipping women with the tools to start over after trauma or devastating loss to take their lives back. Eleanor believes that mindset shifts, self-talk, coupled with guidance, training, and personal coaching sessions will put you on a fresh start for your life. Eleanor owns Bigger Fish to Fry Coaching, a boutique life coaching firm that offers classes, webinars, Facebook groups, and various coaching techniques. Welcome to my podcast. Eleanor, how are you today? I'm good. Thank you. How are you? I'm great. Thanks. Um, What has living through this pandemic been like for you? Uh, it's been interesting. I, um, lost and got the same job twice and lost it again at the end of the pandemic. And I kind of had pulled away from my coaching because worried about things I probably shouldn't have been worrying about. Then due to stress, weight gain, all the things that happened, um, I developed diabetes. And so I'm just really now coming out of the funk of what the pandemic led my life to and how I'm working to reverse it and change my attitude. And rather than go back to work, I'm going to, you know, I'm pushing full fledged back into my business like I was before. And so that's kind of where I am now. My son kind of had the same issues back and forth with jobs and companies. And so we're trying to make, um, not trying, we're making a new way of how we're thinking and choosing to handle things. A lot of people don't understand, you know, well, he's grown. He should have his own apartment. Where we live, it is so expensive. And because I am the only family my child has, uh, he actually came to me and said, well, we just need to be roommates, mom. We'll just change the dynamic, which is hard. And I said, okay. And so now we're more roommates, mother and son creeps in here and there. But um, after he made his point, he was like, it's a lot of grown kids living at home, but I'm saying we're going to have a partnership. We're going to take care of everything together. And we do the bills, the rent, the food, everything. And I said, whoever gets him is going to get a hell of a provider. <laughs> yes. and, um, so it's it's been a, we did this flip turn where for a while he was trying to be out there and I was trying to get out of my house because, you know, it's unfortunate as black people, we want to push our kids out. And so after a while, I was just like, how much sense does it make for him to have to be out here struggling? We're in a city and state that we didn't grow up in and don't really know a lot of people. And so this is kind of where the pandemic has landed us. And you have to do what's right for you and your son. You can't depend upon what others on the outside who don't even know your situation are thinking. You have to do what's best for both of you. So good for you. So good for you. Um, What have you learned about yourself during this time? I learned that you have to really be ready to pivot. And you might be in a place 
where you can't pivot. And people are like, what does that mean? Well, I live in Dallas, Texas, (laughs) and I am not from here at all. And so it's kind of a hard place to be when you're not from here um, because they're not a welcoming group of people. And so I ended up making most of my friends that live here from other states. And so when I started talking about pivoting, they was like, you can't really change what happens here. You just kind of go with the flow, just kind of live with it. I said, well, that's okay because I'm going to ask God what to do to pivot and start to make changes. So I started pivoting and I took a complete break from social media, um, probably four or five months, which was, was a long time for me. Yeah. I was at a point that I couldn't post. I didn't want to look at my own face. I was just like, oh. <laughs> and so um, that's when I said, you know what? you got to find a way to make sure that you utilize your tools. So me pivoting was learning how to utilize all my tools and people would think that's a given, but it's not. I wasn't utilizing that I could do a whole calendar for a month or two and I'd have to worry about post posting. I wasn't utilizing to have classes be automatic. I was still trying to do launches and come to this and come to that when I could just go onto certain websites, post the class, you purchase it, you purchase it, you don't, you don't. And if I wanted to advertise it, I could, but it's in a menu of classes. So People can grab it whenever they want. So that's what um, I started doing. I started pivoting to make my business better and give me a break because I was kind of killing myself. Mm -hmm. Now, you are a life strategies coach specializing in grief. Um, can you share your unfortunate story of grief starting over and self-love? Oh, my goodness. My husband and son passed away in a car accident. We were all together. So it was me, my two kids, and my husband. And my husband and son passed in the car accident. My son and I were survivors. And um, so our life changed literally in an instant that day. Everything was different. Uh, I went from being the happy-go-lucky stay-at-home wife that had all these little businesses as I was an event planner and I sold stuff on eBay and you know I was a mystery shopper, you name it, I was doing it. And I made money. I'm it wasn't a fluky stuff. I made money. And so then uh I was not ready to be the breadwinner of absolutely everything because I always had that backup. And my husband was also a backup in every business that I had. Um, and then my oldest son was such a freaking phenomenal kid and such a helper and such a making life easier type kid it was like we lost our right arms on both our bodies and so that's kind of where I was in grief probably the first it's been about 15 years now probably the first 10 years I just struggled and stumbled through it and I went to the people and the counselors and all that stuff nothing was fixing it and my poor kid was stumbling through his grief. And we weren't sharing our grief because no one had told us to share it. So he's losing. He lost a father and a sibling. I lost a husband and a son. So people don't think about it. So we're in the same household. But that's totally different types of grief. Right. That's totally different. He can't understand losing a mate and a kid. I don't know about losing a sibling and a parent at that time. And so um, that was what had kind of happened And when I finally woke up and I said, you know, you got this life coaching thing. You're not doing squat with it. This was about three, three, maybe four years ago. And I said, 
and nobody seems to get through their grief very well. Um, that has nothing to do with race or anything. They just seem to have so much trouble. And I said, I'm going to start a program and use the strategies to help you people manage their grief because I had to wake up and say, um, this isn't going anywhere, but I deserve a lot because if you live in it and dwell in it, you don't have nothing. And so once I did that, it took me about a year and I didn't test it on anybody but me. And now it's available for other people to use. But um, a whole year was me. I did my strategies. I came to understand triggers. I came to understand when the grief was more present, when it was not. I came to understand how to talk to someone else and introduce them to, yes, if you come into my world or my kid's world, this is going to be part of your world. And so I learned how to accept that my grief is now part of my life and now I manage it. And so everything became so much easier after that. Um, So I kind of took what I learned within being a a life strategies coach, giving people strategies to start over and a fresh start in their life. And I said, well, you have a right to have a life too. And you still have to start over. You still need a fresh start after grief. Because initially when I was dating, I get the same message from all the men. I think you're still in love with your husband. Because I was probably talking about it and going through it and didn't realize any of those things. And most of those guys have gone on to be with other people. One guy just flat out told me, it's not even necessarily you. I, I just can't. I can't handle it. He, just, he mm. said he couldn't handle it. Left. It was like four months in. I was like, oh, bye. <laughs> <All laughs> right. so, and I also decided, screw that. I don't need to date right now. I was dating to make other people happy. So when I let go of that and I said, that's not even on my radar right now, a lot of years have gone by. So people are like, well, you're 15 years later. You should be with somebody. Yeah, but I was dating during the time I shouldn't have been. And so I'm just now coming to that place of accepting me, being happy, being single, being okay. And it's it's a great space. So that's kind of what I did with the life coaching. And I understand how to have a fresh start. I understand how to push forward and give you the strategies you need to, to get that going. Wow. I'm so sorry for your loss, Liz. Um, and I would imagine you don't ever get over the grief is more so managing. Is that correct? Yeah, that was the big thing I was trying to do. And that's why I was falling on my face every five minutes. I was trying to get over it because that's what everybody was saying. You got to get over it. You got to get over it. You got to get over it. And so Uh I was walking in this get over it space. And then I realized as I started researching, I was seeing the same thing all over. Uh, Are you over it? Did you get over it? Did you go through this? Did you go through that? You should be over it by now. And I said, well, how do you get over a 20 year marriage and two children? How do you get over um, losing your child or by miscarriage or whatever the case may be? Or how do you get over your grandmother that raised you your whole life? You just both like, peace, deuces, grandma. You know, I'm good. No. So that's when I woke up and said, we're trying to handle grief the wrong way. And is that me? Hold on one second. So once I shook that off, I was able to see things in a much different way. I was able to get past that whole getting over it. You don't get over it. You can manage it and you can understand it. You can utilize it properly. But you absolutely don't get over it. And I I wouldn't want to. That would be like throwing away everything in my life 
and it doesn't deserve to be thrown away just to make someone else happy. If you can't find people to love you in that space, in any type of form, friendship, relationship, or otherwise, then they need to go. Right, right. You have now turned what one would say your mess into your message and have started a coaching business, Bigger Fish to Fry. Can you talk about what that means to you? Um, it means I have better things to do than sit around crying all day. It means I have better things to do than have my kids stumble through his life never being happy. He's never going to be the same little guy, but he deserves to reach a level of happiness even though half his family is gone. And so my catchphrase is, you got bigger fish to fry, baby, because you do. You have so many better things to do than sit around. And there are a lot of people that are quietly living in their grief and you can't understand why. And they may not even mention to you what's going on, but you're just kind of, you feel a sadness about them or a way about them because they go home and they sit in a, a shrine. They go to home to a room and they're in a shrine room. They go home. They don't talk to people. Um, they continuously talk about the family people, family members that they lost. Um, they're always kind of to themselves because they go to work every day, but they're not, they don't have a life. And so they're kind of living in their grief. And I said, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be that chick. And so I constantly charge my people every day. You got bigger fish to fry. You got better things to do. You love them. Your grief is real. You own it. But you definitely are still on the earth for a reason. So you definitely have bigger fish to fry. I love that name. It's great. <laughs> um, what does a first meeting look like for you and your clients? Oh, a first meeting is typically a discovery call. Um, and we just kind of talk about what has been the issue. And, you know, I, I always remind clients, I'm a coach um, and I want to coach you through it. So I'm not trying to figure out what happened when you were 12. We need to look at what you've been doing in the last literally six months to a year. And even if the grief is really old, I tell them we doesn't matter. We'll talk a little bit about what happened in the past and then we'll get to what's going on presently. And then we kind of try to make a after that, we then make a um a strategy session after that where we're going to strategize what we're going to work on in your grief because grief is personal and needs to be customized. So that's another reason it's a failure for a lot of people. We're trying to take a very broad subject and make it one way for everyone. But I don't have the grief of a woman who lost a child through a gunshot. I don't have the grief of someone who lost a child that was missing and Unfortunately, they found the, the child dead or or someone that imagine like a, a, a George Floyd type of death. Mm -hmm. I can help you through all those things, but I don't have that grief. So that's why we customize the grief management program for you, because you're going to be dealing with things on a different level. So that's what we try to do is make sure you will have what works for you in your grief. What would you say to someone who is stuck and can't get out of their present grief state? I get a lot of calls from people and they're constantly asking me about, would you call them? I'm worried. Would you tell them? Would you this? Would you, would you email them? And I always have to say no, because if a person is stuck, they have to be willing of their own accord to work with me. 
But if it's everybody else doing it, they're not going to do it. And so nothing will be received. Nothing will be taken to heart. And they'll be in the same space they were before. And so I feel bad for that. But I always say no. Um, and I, 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 I'll gladly give tips. I gladly do a quick call with them calling me. But um, most of the time, sometimes people stay stuck in it for life, sadly, because they just they, they can't seem to get out of it. How can people prioritize themselves in their grieving process? Um, tell everybody to stay away. <laughs> and I'm laughing, not because I'm a horrible person, because I went through it. I let a lot of horrible leeches into mm. my grief space that were supposedly going to help me feel better. What they were doing was being those. They were trying to find out if I had a settlement. They were trying to find out what was going on. They were trying to find out how the family was acting in in-laws. They were trying to find out. I remember one friend, I, well, we're not even friends anymore, said to me, you always want to go back to your house. What do you do when you're in your house? They're all dead. And I thought, oh my me and gosh. my son there, you being bad. And so I was letting all these grief leeches in. So I tell people, prioritize you and simply say, thank you for your concern. I will text you or send you a message if I need something from you. Or if you want to call me and just check in with me when you feel like it, that's great too. Um, it kind of gives a small boundary to start off with saying, I don't necessarily need you just dropping by. I don't necessarily need you just calling when you feel like it. And so it's 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 the best to just let people know, give me some space. People think if they're on top of you in your grief, that that's the way to help you. But honestly, it's, it's uncomfortable and it makes you feel like you have to entertain them in your grief. And I'm like, you can get in your car and go home. And they don't know when to go home. So they'll be with you and be at your house for eight, eight hours. Go home. Because the grief person... The person in grief needs needs some time. They need a minute, you know. So, yeah, just tell people. I'll, I'll let me let me have a little time to myself. How can those grieving become a warrior against self sabotage? It's hard because grief puts you in a grief fog. And you just walk around making the dumbest decisions. And I am not the only person. I have other grief coaches that uh, I talk to here and there. And we all talk about the grief fog. It's very real. And you make the dumbest decision you would never make if you weren't in grief. And so I tell people very large decisions. Get someone to help you. Not a friend, a professional. If it's something legal, I'm, I'm going to get a lawyer. I'm going to call you back. If it's something um, in regards to your next steps, you know, get a life coach to help you to map out what you're trying to do. Start getting that secondary help that you need. If you know the death has triggered and thrown you into something that the coach can't handle and the lawyers can't handle, whoever it is, then I suggest you get a, a real counselor, get a grief counselor that can help you say, okay, we got to start digging to get you out of this because some people go really deep within that depth. So get the external help that's out there. Get them, if you need a money coach, because maybe you got a huge settlement, your family will drain you dry before you can blink twice. So you better get a money coach that will say, hold up, wait a minute, let's, let's do this over here. So to me, get the outsource 
what you need so that you won't make bad decisions. So it seems like there are never the right words when a loved one is grieving or um, like a friend is grieving, or there's always one person who says like the wrong thing to another, kind of like you might just look at that person like, okay, why did you just say that to me? Um, What are some suggestions for people to say to those who have recently lost loved ones? Definitely um, simply say simple things. You know, um, my thoughts are with you. I will check in on you. Um, I am, you know, here for you. I'll bring dinner by two or three times a week. Don't worry about calling me about it. I'll I'll tell you what days. You know, it's simple things. Um, what what you know? What do you need from me at this time? And that's that's hard because when you're in the in the grief, you don't know. And then you can simply say, "Don't worry about that. Tell me what you need. You know, I will you know be in touch with you." A lot of it is the other person being in touch with the person in grief because. I didn't really give a crap about calling anybody when I was in grief. Leave me alone. Mm-hmm. I don't want to call you. It's my deal. So um, all the holy rolling stuff, leave it alone. Just simply, you know, I am, I'm here for you. I'm, I'm very sorry. And you know what, whatever you need, I'm here for. If you mean it, don't say it. Right. <laughs> if you don't really mean it. So just, just, just simple things. I don't know. You can even say, I had a girlfriend say, um, my mom died uh, during the pandemic and she just came over and she cleaned up the house and I was like, glory, hallelujah. And she said, I don't know what to say. And I said, thank you. We hug and just laugh. That's mm. a better move than people even think. And I never asked her to say anything. And I said, and you don't have to, the cleaning up the house and just sitting on the couch with me and we looked at pictures and stuff. There were there were not a lot of tears. There was none of that because she just had an open spirit about her. And that gave me an open spirit to just kind of share. So be open about how, I don't know what to say. That's, that's really re- refreshing. I love that. Do you have any mantras or words of affirmations that have helped you in your process, in your grief process? Um, I would say basically, you know, I didn't really use any mantras or affirmations at the time when I was doing this. Now I definitely have learned. I would definitely say to speak every day that you are powerful. You will get through this. You are amazing how I handle this is right. And why do I say that? Because everybody will tell you how you're handling your grief is wrong. So I had to get to a place where you have to say how I am handling everything in this situation is right. And so you start to know you are making the right decisions. You are doing the right thing. And that pushes you to kind of keep going and how you're handling the things, the events and things that are transpiring. And I want to ask you one last question. Can you talk about your son, your late son and your husband? Can you tell me something about them? I'd love to know. Uh, My husband was 38 when he passed. I was 34. I was a young widow. And um, he would give you the shirt off his back and the last dollar that he had. 
and just a very sweet, sweet chocolate man with gold tooth and a, mm-hmm. a heart of gold to match. And um, I would come home and I'll be like, where's the couch? Oh, my friend's getting a divorce. We can get another couch. So I would be like, <laughs> oh, not, really? not, not today. But <laughs> right, right. Um, and my 14-year-old was just literally just me he was the mini me because honestly I have my husband here so some days it can be hard (laughs) but my 14 year old was me he was kind of independent from day one he was walking at nine months he was talking and doing stuff and he was always like that and he drew a lot of people to his charismatic personality and he loved cooking he was I started him taking cooking classes at 11 and people thought I was crazy, but I wasn't the best cook. And my husband was, my husband always had like 5,000 jobs. So he wasn't all but <laughs> So uh, I would have people come in and help him with cooking and um, etiquette classes, all that kind of stuff. People thought I was crazy, but I wanted to raise very good little men. And so to me, we lost, I don't know. I think we lost our logical charismatic players because I'm more of a loyal homebody kind of what they would call a popular loner everybody knows me but I don't really rock with a lot of people whereas they always had a lot of people and then my baby's kind of like that too but he's got a lot of his dad in him so sometimes his dad comes out I'm like whoa (laughs) and him and his dad never got along when he was little oh man he's little what's wrong with you oh he drives me insane and so I've come to see now okay he that's because he's so much like you so it was like I gave birth to two boys but one was me and one was him and so um, they were phenomenal individuals and um, the loss was felt very greatly in the community. It was in the papers. It was on TV because uh, my husband was a firefighter um, and um, we we were pretty, pretty well known in the community. So it was, it was, it was big. And my son, I didn't realize until I saw the little audience of friends and girls and everything because he was 14 at the time. Oh. It was a lot of little heartbreaks in there. So I was like, wow, I, did, I didn't know my son was affecting people on that level. Right, so, right. They're, they're oh, that's great. beautiful. Thank you for sharing. That's beautiful. Thank you. Um, what do you do for self-care to treat yourself and take care of yourself? Uh, for self-care, um, this really just happened in the last couple of years. I finally started saying no. Mm-hmm. I started um, pulling out of organizations that I knew were not serving me. and um, self-care is more than baths and getting your hair and nails done. So what I started doing was I said, you know what? I need to get back to things that I've never done before. And so I try to do something new at least once or twice a month. Right now, I'm trying to teach myself <laughs> how to make charcuterie boards. To me, I love them. That's great. Yeah. And they're fun. And so I'm like, okay, I want to learn how to make these. And people are like, you're going to sell them? Oh, everything is not about selling. I said, I'm trying to learn how to make them to, because I like them. And I, I said, it'd be a lot cheaper for me to make what I like and put in what I like to eat and keep it moving. And um, I decided to learn wine making because I like wine. So um, I'm trying to do, I try to, when I, even when I talk to the clients and stuff, when I tell them with self-care, all the, all the things are great. Go out, see a movie, eat by yourself all of that, you know, and the spa days and all that. But at the end of the day, doing something new is the best self-care because it keeps you knowledgeable and you find out there are things about yourself that you don't know. 
And you're like, oh, I like that. I didn't know that. Okay, I want to try this. And you can invite on or not. It might not be a journey someone has to be on. So self-care to me is making sure that I find something new to kind of dig into. That's great. I love it. Well, thank you, Eleanor, so much for sharing your stories about your husband, your son, and your business. I really appreciate you taking your time out today to speak to me. Well, I appreciate you having me on and sorry about the technical difficulties. (laughs) So I appreciate it. So thank you so much. Thank you. You have just listened to the Stay at Home Mom Yeah Right podcast with my mom. I hope you enjoy listening. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you liked it, please give it five stars. Thank you. Thank you.